podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. How's your fantasy team doing, mate? Oh, I haven't sat here in ages. Everyone's bored of it by the stages of the season, now, aren't they? That's enough out of you, you whiny limey. That's soccer, not football. And this is Paddy Power's NFL Fantasy. Running on just the 6 p.m. games, it's only a game week long. No season-long boredom, no excuses, and 750 pounds in prizes guaranteed each week. Paddy Power Fantasy. Hate waiting, love winning. Paddy Power Fantasy rules apply. It's in plus Hello and welcome to the Nat Coombe Show presented by Paddy Power Fantasy. Iron Mike dropping by very shortly for his usual Wednesday gig. And we have a ton to be getting into. Riverboat Ron's luck has run out in Carolina. Breaking news there. We'll talk about who might replace him at the Panthers and other coaches on the hot seat as well. Iron Mike's got a top five. Of course he does. We'll dip into the mailbag too. Look at the playoff race. So much to be getting into there. And Ben Isaacs uh, also dropping by for his regular weekly college update championship weekend. Of course, on ESPN Play, you can catch all the action uh, there. And we'll talk about which coaches could be heading to the NFL after the end of the season from the college ranks. So looking forward to checking in with Ben as well. Uh, big shout out to Paddy Power Fantasy, our terrific sponsors. And breaking news, they're dropping the league once again. Fantasy.paddypower.com forward slash league forward slash Nat Coom Show. Get involved in the Listener League. It's free to enter, gang. You put your daily fantasy team together for Sunday's 6 o'clock games. A lot of cash prizes to be won. I know a lot of you have made some dollar already, so keep that one rolling. All right, then. We'll get straight down to business. And I'm Mike. Season's greetings, Iron Mike. Hey, hello, and I'll tell you, here at the Carlson Command Center at Iron Mike's headquarters, uh, it's looking a lot like Christmas. There's frost everywhere. In fact, Ooh. I might even have to scrape my car out. Is the Carlson Christmas tree up? No, not yet. Um, it's an interesting situation. I've seen people who had their Christmas trees out before December 1st, even. Um, but I think they were artificial trees looking through the windows as I walked the dog. And um, None of that nonsense for you, Carlson. I, would, I usually want to put it up sort of the second week in December, so it, it stays relatively fresh. Through you chop your own tree down. Uh, so I have done, but uh, I, I won't. I, I don't think I will this year. Um, and uh, yeah, I bring my little hatchet along. <laughs> yeah, whatever you do, don't make the mistake that that uh, punter did uh, that you were telling us about earlier on this season. Yeah, keep chopping wood. I, I really need yeah. a keep chopping wood sweatshirt. You know, I'll work for, on that. Oh, with, with a picture of Jack Del Rio, or even better, a keep a Jack Del. Remember Jack Del Rio used to wear that leather jacket on the side. the leather trench coat. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it, it should. We should. Really Really have like a keep chopping wood leather jacket. I love it. That's well, I'm writing that down on the Christmas list. Uh, we always used to joke about Jack Del Rio was the head coach most likely to own a strip club. <laughs> I think uh, that was why. Uh, and it, could, it would be called Del Rio. Of course, it would be called Del Rio. Sorry, a gentleman's club. I Vanessa Del Rio would be the leading well, performer. You better move on. I'm not sure we're allowed to talk about this kind of thing. Um, let's get uh, straight into speaking of the Carolina Panthers. How about that for a perfect segue? Big news, of course, overnight, breaking overnight that. The latest head coach to uh, find the exit uh, or be forced to the exit, David Tepper pushing uh, Riverboat Ron, Ron Rivera, out of the door after the Panthers fell to five and seven and pretty much lost any chance of, of making the playoffs. A topsy-turvy season for them, of course. Uh, Mike, they started badly. Cam Newton went down. We thought that was game, set, and match. And then, of course, Carl Allen masterminded a bit of a revival. And up until this weekend, the Panthers have been there or thereabouts in contention but now it's pretty clear that they're not going to make the postseason tepper is ringing the changes what do you make of this well it's a little bit of a surprise that they'd give up now but not really um because david david tepper is a hedge fund guy and and mm. you know he's he's one of those people who makes up his mind quickly and then acts on it there were great stories about him um his buying john corzine who was uh, the guy famously at Goldman Sachs who wouldn't promote him um, and then became governor from, of New Jersey where he bought his beachfront house in the Hamptons and Long Island uh, from his ex-wife after his divorce and then immediately raised the entire house, bought it for $43 million, <laughs> raised it and built a one that was twice as big. <laughs> and, and so I think wow. that I think he will look at his football team in, in the same way. But he's yeah. also, you know, he's also been a um, hedge fund guy who's been hugely successful, arguably the most 
you know, successful. When he moved out of New Jersey and down to Florida, it literally created a problem in New Jersey state tax revenue <laughs> because he was his salary from his own hedge fund was two point two billion dollars a year. So New so New Jersey was taking a pretty large so cut of that. Doing all years. right. He's in year yeah. two, and that we were uh, talking to some. Carolina reporters near the start of the season. He, he felt this was on the cards, and it, it might he might not be the only one that goes. Of course, there might be changes all around. Tepper in year two has uh, stood and watched and, and waited, but now he's moved decisively here. Do you think there'll be other changes that will ring as well? Then? Yeah, I'm sure there will be, um, and I think that you know the situation, say with Norv Turner, who's been kind of kicked upstairs um, from from the play calling responsibility of, of, of offensive coordinator. Uh, well, I think a lot of it will depend on what Cam Newton does. Mm. You know, that's their problem right now. Ron's gone and Cam is, is going to be there, you think, next year. Maybe, maybe not. But, you know, as we were saying, a, a little word of caution on Kyle Allen when he was doing so well, you know, and he was now the greatest quarterback of all time, um, or the greatest, you know, first year court starter of all time or whatever, you know, he was playing pretty much as a game manager in that offense. And that offense did not have a whole lot of options. You know, I think in a way, um, Norv, who did so well last year, without Cam was unable to kind of recapitulate, you know, and, and I watched them down the goal line against, against Washington uh, at the end of the game and they kept running McCaffrey into the, you know, and, and it's too obvious in that situation. Mm. You've got to come up with a, with a, an alternative you trust. Although having said that the loss to Washington obviously was, was the straw that, that, uh, that broke Ron Rivera's back, but it was their defense that cost them that game. They never should have lost that game. You know, and you can't be in the position that they're in of, of losing games. And, um, so, so what, I, happens, what happens next for, for Rivera? Does he bounce into another gig and who are the likely candidates? Yeah, I think Ron from? bounces into a defensive coordinator's gig if somebody, mm-hmm. if he wants to, um, would seem to me the most likely scenario. Um, that's two coaches gone now. Remember, Jay Gruden's gone. And of course, Bill Callahan was the coach on the other side of the field, um, in that Carolina Washington game. So, but I can't see him necessarily coming back. I think. Tepper will do kind of like um, um, what's his name in Boston um, and look for an analytics kind of guy or, or a younger guy, a, a more creative guy. And, and there's certainly any number of um, candidates out there, uh, depending on how deep you want to dig. Because McCarthy, and, Mike McCarthy is the, is the front runner in the early press report. Yeah. I, and I would kind of doubt that. Um, just again, from, for the reason that I've just said, um, mm. I, I, I don't see him wanting to go back necessarily to Mike McCarthy. Although if Mike McCarthy comes in with some good spreadsheets, um, <laughs> he, you know, I could see him going to the college, the college route. Yeah. Um, and, you know, people immediately say Link Riley at, um, Oklahoma. Mm. Although I, I don't know if he leaves Oklahoma, but I, I look at, Guys like Matt Rule at Baylor, who who came up, you know, in in the Giants kind of coaching thing. Um, Chris Peterson at Washington, maybe um, Kirby Smart at Georgia, potentially. But I, I I think he might. I think he'll go offense rather than defense, which would mm-hmm. mean, um, you know, the Greg Roman's the name that's coming up. But I can't see that either because Greg Roman's two periods of success as an offensive coordinator are with Kaepernick. And Lamar Jackson, and he's he's been very good in that kind of um, uh, Jim John Harbaugh Stanford sort of offense. Run, With that run kind of need that kind of quarterback as well. Yeah, right? so, and and he hasn't. I haven't seen from him any sign that he'd be otherwise. You know, um, Josh McDaniel's name will come up. Ryan Dayball in Buffalo, who's another like expatriate. Um, Just on McDaniel's mic, what's your hunch there? Just going on on that tangential point for a moment. Is he more likely to? hang around until Belichick finally uh, hangs him up and, and take the gig? Or do you think he's going to, because he's very understandably quite selective of the whole cult situation. One thing, other jobs, apparently he's, they've inquired about him and he's much like Belichick. And I think Belichick picked this up, um, you know, early on to advising him to take the gig if everything in the franchise is set. And if not, don't take the risk. So it's got to be the right gig for McDonald's. But do you think he's more likely to leave Foxborough or be the next head coach at New England? Well, I, I think there's some sort of deal in place for him at New England. And now everybody's screaming that, you know, if Tom, since Tom Brady's ineffective, it's time for McDaniels to go. Right. Um, is his stock falling, do you think? I mean, in this reactionary world we live in. No, I, d- I don't think so. I think the blame is being shifted to Brady. And, and mm. as we discussed last week, I don't think that's necessarily where it, 
um, be. where it should be. And, and I think some of the things we saw in the game against Houston um, led us led us to uh, conclude that that was right. Mm-hmm. Um, he, there were a couple of instances with Philip Dorsett where he just isn't on the same page with his receivers right. and, and got visibly frustrated by it. Um, I think Jerry Jones would like to see Josh McDaniels um, as his next head coach. Um, you see what Jerry Jones came out about Garrett and said, I think he'll, uh, he'll have a place coaching in the NFL next season. Yeah. Garrett, Garrett's <laughs> gone. Qualified. I mean, we, we know Garrett's gone. Um, we probably know Dan Quinn is gone. Um, I think Shermer's gone in New York. Uh, Marone's definitely gone. I think in Jacksonville, um, you could say Anthony Lynn is gone with the chargers. Cause I think he's not had a great, you know, and, and, and do you think as well? You, um, Patricia is an interesting one because when your quarterback goes down for the season, sure. um, you, you kind of cut a guy some slack, although not Ron Rivera. Um, You've been listening to our show, Mike. That's exactly what I said to Greg Brady on Monday. Yeah. <laughs> so I, you know, he probably gets another Freddie kitchen could be gone. Um, and Haslam is an unpredictable kind of money. He hasn't interfered lately. So he might be feeling the itch. Um, <laughs> I wonder about, Adam Gaze and Vic Fangio, mm. both of whom have shown shown the the kind of faults you might expect from them, but they're in their first year, and you know I think they'll probably wind up getting a second. And and the guy a lot who depends I think, on the next couple of weeks yeah. of them are really you know they're at a crossroads. If they if they if the Jets capitulate as they did this weekend and two uh, or three of their remaining games. I think that could, that tide could turn again for, for Adam Gates. Yeah. And, and the funny thing is if I look at like um, NFL assistance, mm. the, the, um, the names that jump out as potential head coaches really are all defensive coordinators apart from McDaniels. Um, you know, Eberflus, e- 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 uh, e- um, who I think should be right at the top, Terrell Austin in Pittsburgh, Chuck Pagano is around, Dennis Allen in New Orleans, Robert Salah in, um, San Francisco, I think, will get a lot of attention. We yeah, more so than Pagano, I guess, because the, the difference is, you know, you got Salah is, is that classic zeitgeisty coordinator. Yeah, zeitgeist young some, guy coming yeah. up, you know, not recycled. Wink Martindale, yeah. maybe. Yeah. Um, Just in, for the uh, name alone. <laughs> yeah, but, but, but the, the guy who I think, and, and I, don't, I haven't seen anybody say this, so, uh, you know, this is like an exclusive here that, that I, want, uh, I want to be able to uh, capitalize on. I think, I think Jim Harbaugh could be an NFL coach next year. <laughs> you think so? I, I really do. I think Michigan would, would be happy to buy him out of his contract. Um, or, you know, or let him go. Uh, there were rumblings, I, weren't there earlier in the season that that might be the case. And, yeah. yeah. And after that Ohio State game, you know, mm. I, I think that might, you know, the question is who could they find who might be a better replacement? But, mm. um, but I, I would not be surprised to see Harbaugh take a high, a high profile job in the NFL. Final line on Carolina before we move on. We mentioned whole scale change and, and Newton, Kyle Allen, or another quarterback. That is uh, clearly uh, it's going to be one of those three things going into next season. The decision in terms of which direction they go with the quarterback, depending on the head coach they bring in, of course, at the moment still will be Marty Hernies. We talked about whole scale change, but Tepper said he, he doesn't want to move on from Hernies. So he wants to keep the personnel, or the, the GM certainly, but the personnel office in place. Are you buying that or do you think he's. Uh, doesn't want to panic by making or panic fans by making too many changes uh, immediately. And actually that Hernie's days are numbered as well. I think, I think it's the latter. Um, and it, it's, it's a difficult one because if you look at the way that team is built, there, there's definite flaws in, in the building um, of it. And, and in the building, which is what they always call the off op- the offices. Um, but, they, they've stuck to that kind of defense first uh, mantra and, and the defense is what let them down um, right. last week and, and has done a number of times. Uh, and so I think that you're, you're right because he doesn't want to rock the boat completely. No one, you know, who's going to run, who's going to run the operation for the rest of the year. Um, we've seen GMs fired after the draft, um, mm. you know, or just before yeah. the draft when they're not needed anymore. And, and I think it's going to wind up being him sitting down with, um, with Hurley to go over who the next coach should be mm. and go over what they do with Cam Newton. Is Cam going to play next year? Um, you know, is, is he going to be fully healthy? Does he want to play next year? Um, uh, I think those are all questions that really need to be answered before they can do anything because yeah, that's, that, that's, that's the, you know, that's the crux of the, uh, the argument. 
Let's turn our attention to, to Monday Night Football next, Mike, and the Seahawks moving to 10-2 and two and getting in the box seat, uh, improbably, some might say, in the uh, NFC West, uh, taking down the Vikings in a topsy-turvy shootout and going old school, if old school, by old school we mean last season, going to the ground game once again and the double-headed monster on the ground of Carson and Rashad Penny are absolutely running all over the Seahawks. And in turn, the Vikings... Uh, notably with Dalvin Cook going out in the third quarter with injury, not able to establish their ground game. Is that where this one was ultimately won lost, Mike? I think so. Um, and also on on sort of the creative ability of, of Russell Wilson, who only needs to make one or two big plays a game, it seems, um, to complement that. But um, what was the final running statistics? It, it, it was like 175 to 50 um, yeah. in rushing yardage and, and – uh, I don't think time of possession was as um, as dramatic as as it might have been. But uh, the other interesting thing in that game, the, there was only one penalty to Seattle, and there were only three to Minnesota. Interesting. Um, and yeah, and I mean Kansas City this week had a zero penalty game. I can't think of the last time that that, that happened. What do you put um, that down? That is, that I have curious. no idea. I mean, how do how do you put anything down in refereeing? Um, I mean, <laughs> sure. honestly, how do you explain anything yeah. in in refereeing? We had we had that. Um, I thought very very kind of questionable uh, late call in the Denver game against Haywood that that DPI mm. um, where he you could argue he was impeding the receiver or you could argue he was going for the ball. And we had a call earlier in the day where they, they didn't, they ruled off pass interference because they said the the defender was going for the ball. And what he did was come in the air from behind and knock the receiver over. Um, so, you know, there's, there's, there is no consistency. Um, we, we only had one, um, we only had one Super Blandino this week, which was the uh, oh, what was this week's Super Blandino? Jacksonville Tampa game had twenty four. Actually, we had two had twenty four penalties um, in it for one hundred and sixty nine yards. And what uh, is the, the water margin? Remind me for the Super Blandino. Uh, well, a Blandino is kind of like fifteen penalties or a hundred right. yards, and then yeah. a Super Blandino is like twenty penalties 20 plus. or fifty <laughs> yards, or, yeah, okay. plus. And um, that's what we, that's what we pay Blandino. to watch. Yeah. That's what we pay to watch. The way they <laughs> um, throw those flags. But what, going what back is, to what is you know, Minnesota Blandino. Blandino, Mike, incidentally, is there a mega Blandino? Did we ever establish that? We haven't reached that point yet, but I'm sure it's coming. Uh, wait, wait till the Patriots play somebody, um, you know, somebody undisciplined, like, uh, like say, uh, the Raiders. The Raiders had 12 penalties in the game where Kansas City had none. So I think that, 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 that's <laughs> pretty good. good. Yeah. But, you know, I think what we saw too in the, in this game, um, with Minnesota and Seattle was kind of like the, uh, the San Francisco Baltimore game in that both teams played well. Um, well enough to win. Yep. You know, and you say, well, on a neutral field, this could be a different sort of game. And certainly, you know, it should be as interesting a game. Uh, and I think that's what you like at this stage of the season, because otherwise you're looking at, you know, games like next week's, you know, Dallas, Chicago, Carolina, Atlanta, Indy, Tampa, Miami, New York Jets. How do you pick these games? You know, <laughs> like what teams are going to what teams are going to show up? But I, I think in the a lot West, of people, Mike. Uh, before we get to the West, just on the game itself, because I know you've got opinions about this. A lot of people inevitably weighing into Kirk Cousins again, saying his prime time failure record yeah. rolls on, but that's pretty. Unfair. It's a bit harsh. Yeah. Oh, um, and eight uh, on Monday Night Football, but um, yes, he could have made some plays late in the game, you know, and, and didn't, but Seattle played some pretty good defense there. I think uh, Minnesota's defense let them down a bit because they couldn't stop the run, which which you would expect that they they could be, but that was always one of the scenarios coming into the game, uh, which team's going to be able to stop the other team's run running game yeah. better. Um, and of course, when Minnesota are up, they're very predictable. And when they're down, they're kind of predictable too. They, they took away Stefan Diggs, basically. Um, and that, you know, that, that just killed them. You know, who else do they have? Treadwell had that one catch. Um, Rudolph had, had a couple of catch and, and, and that was it. You know, they, they got, um, so, so I think that that was not unexpected and, and some, you know, some of us picked that right. Um, so that, so that was okay. And well, I think now, with, you know, with, without Thielen, obviously, and then with Cook going down in the middle of the game, yeah. arguably the two best offensive players, they yeah, actually, well, two, two, at, two of their four, you know, that that's cousins and digs and, yeah. and that's it, you know, and the rest are complimentary. Well, yeah, um, Rudolph, I guess in the uh, Rudolph's good, but yeah. Um, but, but point know. taken, but, the, that, but looking at the result, then the Vikings will take, I guess, 
you know, an element of comfort from the fact that they, they went toe to toe with the Seahawks despite that. Yeah, absolutely. That's what I, that's what, you know, that's, that's the point I was making. I think San Francisco took the same thing away with, right. from the game with Baltimore, right. you know, um, and, uh, I think the Vikings will be, you know, thinking that the division is, um, is something they can still Winnable. think about, yeah. but a wild card is there probably for whichever team, uh, doesn't win, doesn't win the division. And, we'll uh, same issue in the West. So let's, let's the same issue in the West because that, that season ends in week 17 with San Francisco at Seattle. At Seattle. That is the week 17 game. Before that, the Seahawks have the cards, uh, the Panthers and the Rams, the Rams next up, whereas the 49ers have a, a, a tougher run. And I think cause it includes the Saints, uh, yeah, the they, Rams they, as well and the Falcons. Yeah. They're down in Florida right now. Um, they flew from Baltimore to uh, the yeah. IMG place in Florida, and they're working out there, and then they're going to go to New Orleans, uh, which is probably a smart move uh, in terms of preparation. And I think this that's going to be a really fascinating game um, and, and really one of the um, signpost games for, for the rest of the season, the last, the last four games, because New Orleans have not impressed me the last few weeks. Um, their defense is playing well. And that, that's another guy who might be considered, uh, Allen might be considered for some head coaching jobs because he's done a really good job with the, uh, Saints defense the last couple of years. Mm. Um, but they weren't that impressive, I thought, in beating Atlanta. I think Drew Brees is back to the questioning his arm kind of thing. Um, he's not, doesn't seem to me to be zipping balls in, um, which we were talking about the end of last season. So yeah, well. not, so not since the injury then you think this is, this dates back. But, yeah. He's you know. come back and, and to me not been the Drew Brees, uh, of old. And I think he's trying to focus. He has to focus in a little more on Michael Thomas. Um, cause you know, they, they are a receiver by committee kind of team, mm-hmm. uh, apart from my, apart from Michael Thomas. And I think they actually miss Mark Ingram a bit too. Cause oh, big time. Um, whatever you think of Latavius Murray, I don't think he brings Ingram's, um, range of skills, uh, range of skills to the game. So I, you know, this is one that, another one that I'll be thinking, you know, really have trouble calling, um, when, when I come down to picking it. Uh, but it's going to be tough for San Francisco because they do get a break with Atlanta coming into town the week mm-hmm. after that. And then they've got the Rams coming into town the week after that. And, and who knows what Rams are going to show up, you know, it's and not- also Atlanta to a lesser degree, right? I mean, <laughs> well, to a very lesser degree. I well, think. hang on. They were, yeah. Okay. But still, yeah. I mean, it, they, they have that sucker punch power offensively and defensively in recent weeks, maybe not the weekend is gone, but they've, you know, they've, yeah, the defense seems to have up. gone back to being what it was. About, you yeah. know, I, I don't know what they, what, what teams did to adjust to it. Um, but you know, the pass rush is gone and that was kind of the, the, cent, the central part of that. And, you know, the Rams have the potential, um, to run the table. It's, you know, they have to beat, they would have to beat Seattle next week, uh, this week at home. But, you know, if they can do that, then, then their run in is, is, um, is not too bad. Well, they got the 49ers as well. So the, yeah. the Cowboys and the Cards are the other two teams. So yeah. I'd say that's, that's dicey. It's, it's tough, but, yeah. you know, it depends on, 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 you know, Todd Gurley was showing signs of actually explosiveness this week. So how about that? LeCon yeah. Treadwell and Todd Gurley. How about that? Uh, <laughs> let's fire Sean McVay. Uh, let's quickly, before we get into, I want to talk a bit about the Saints and their onside kick woes, but just the final point on the NFC seedings, because with that win, as I said at the top, it puts the Seahawks in control of the West because of the tiebreak, which means they are now in a top two seed along with the Saints, which means the 49ers at the moment drop down to, to five. a wild card berth. Yeah. yeah. Which way do you think it's going to play out, Mike, in terms of, I mean, it will, the West will come down to that week 17 game, as you say. I think that the, the Saints should hold firm and retain one of the, the top Saints two will seeds. win that division. Yeah. Win the division, but keep a, keep a, a top two seed, a, a first round bye, do you think in the playoffs? I would, I would put them ahead of, um, of the north of, of the Green Bay, um, they the got Green the Bay, Min- and the Minnesota. Titans in the mix. Yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, they, they could lose, they could lose two of their last, they could lose two of their last four. Yeah. Say, um, but still hold on to that sec, um, that, that two seed. Um, the five seed means you'll play Dallas or the Eagles, which is not a bad, <laughs> Yeah, right. <laughs> Not a right. bad fate if you have to go on the road in the wild card in the wild card game. Um so, you know, uh but you obviously you would prefer not to have to play that first weekend. Uh big time. Let's move on to the, the Saints onside. Oh, that was great, was. wasn't it? Yeah. Cuz onsides were a big thing. Now, um the Patriots cut Kai Forbath. Yeah. Who, who missed an extra point crucially. Harsh. Um although actually it didn't matter in the end because if if 
Forbath's onside kick at the end of that game just missed. Um, it went off, was it Hightower's hand and out of bounds? But if they had recovered that onside kick at the, you know, 40 yard line with 30 seconds or so to go, mm. and they needed a touchdown, but a touchdown would have won it for them, um, or an extra point would have at least, um, you know, that's a whole different game. And, and I said, this, this is like that Baltimore loss for New England, although I don't think as bad. Um, and the weird thing was I picked Houston on Friday and then changed my pick on Saturday. I woke up and said, nah, you know, they're, they're not as unhealthy as I, I think. <laughs> and they threw that game away. You know, that first touchdown that they couldn't connect with, with Dorsett. Yep. Um, a couple of other, you know, so they'll think that their problem right now is that they're just not executing, but that, that stuff is there. And, and yep. I'm not taking anything away from Houston because Houston played Houston played a pretty good game. Um, but, you know, they did hold DeAndre Hopkins in, in check and, and uh, whatever. But in, in that Atlanta game and New Orleans, the onside kick, Young Ho Koo, who was another kicker who the Patriots got this year, yeah, right. he hit three onside kicks in a row. He hit one. They called it back on a bogus penalty. He hit it again, and then they scored, and he hit a third one. And this is impossible. The rules are designed to not, not to not let you hit onside kicks. And then yeah. he did it three times. I just thought that was the most incredible thing of the week. I was I was watching it in stunned awe and silence. It's quite ironic. The, the Saints are the ones that are on the receiving end of it, having the most famous one onside kick in the history of football, of course, in the, in the Super Bowl. So uh, that's some kind of karmic. Yeah, uh, and you know, nowadays you wouldn't be able to do that because you, mm-hmm. you have to. You know, you almost have to declare. You know, you only have. You can only have five guys on each side of the ball. You can't, you can't overload. It's, 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 it's getting really tough. And, um, I also, you know, the, the, um, the Saints also seem to be victimized by the NFL officials this year. Um, either that or they've lost all their discipline because they had another game where, uh, they had nine penalties for 121 yards and, and, uh, Atlanta only had four penalties the whole game for 18. And, and that's been the case almost every week. The Saints are one of the more highly penalized teams in the league. I wonder if that, yeah, anything in that. Uh, it's not good, Sean Payton said about it all. Uh, it's embarrassing. We've got to get it cleaned up, which is something we could probably apply to a lot of our work, Mike. Yeah, quite <laughs> frankly. Yeah. You know, and it, I, I look at myself right now as sort of like the Duck Hodges of, of the <laughs> really? of NFL co- commentary, you know? How come? Well, I, there was a great quote from Joe Hayden after that game. Hmm. Um, Peter King had it in his column, and I often, you know, have fun you're, with Peter King, fan, but, I know. but he does pick up, he does pick up good stuff. Um, and Joe Hayden said, duck throw, ducks throwing people open. Mm. And I love the phrase throwing people open because we've talked a number of times about what separates good from great quarterbacks and, and guys with good arms who can see the open receiver and throw it. But the great quarterbacks are the ones who throw the guy open, who see the, where the opening is before the receiver actually gets there. Yeah. And, and that's what Joe Hayden says Duck's doing. And, and it, you know, it, it helps explain sort of why, why he's been successful. And I think, you know, you got to give Mike Tomlin a lot of credit for making, being able to make that move, you know, and holding this team together. Um, when yeah, absolutely. Keeps writing, writing them off. So you know, Tomlin's got to be up there in the coach of the year kind of has sweet. to be, has to be. I love that for a couple of reasons. Firstly, that is essentially you, uh, saying that you're great, which I know no one would argue with. I love that. I definitely, Oh no, I'm not saying the duck's great. Oh, okay. I'm just saying, you know, I, I like, I <laughs> throw, like, I don't I throw people open, you know, isn't that I what I do? It. You do it. You do it well, my friend, you do it well. <laughs> and uh, you make a great point on, on Tomlin uh, and it segues nicely into coach of the year contenders. Cause a few weeks back, I was maybe drinking the, the Raiders Kool-Aid a little bit too much and suggesting <laughs> that John Gruden was on that shortlist. I think yeah, I saw you and Gruden, I saw you and Gruden <laughs> over there in the corner of the practice field up in North <laughs> London drinking Kool-Aid. He let me some, what could I say? The, the Raiders, uh, uh, have st- uh, stumbled, of course. So that probably puts Gruden out of the running, though he's still done a hell of a job, I think. Uh, but Tomlin, for the same kind of reasons, in the face of adversity and injury and everything else, uh, uh, a really impressive job. And it's when you think about earlier in the season, there was fairly weighted talk of Tomlin maybe coming to the end of the road, right? And that was certainly a discussion that some people are having. Uh, the Steelers, this organization of continuity that hates making knee-jerk changes, but maybe they have to move on from Mike Tomlin now he's uh confounded the haters hasn't he yeah and and it's sort of it's sort of um 
you know, justifies the Steelers' faith uh, in him. And and to some extent, you think he's the um, he's the sort of epitome of the um, cruise director kind of coach, the rah rah, <laughs> the rah rah kind of college guy who just keeps every everything on on the same page. I uh, love the idea of a cruise. But when a team, like when a team yeah, when a team is colla- you know, when things are collapsing for a team and, and life gets tough. Um, that often can be uh, something that works, you know, and, and, you know, they, they, the front office did help him. They, when they picked up Minka Fitzpatrick, uh, yeah. especially, but Joe Hayden, um, you know, has played really well. Um, and that's been transformative, I think, for their, for their defense. And it's their defense that's keeping, and like a lot of teams, they've built from the front on the offensive line. Uh, and that offensive line has been healthy this year, which, which has helped them. Uh, cope with the losses of Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell and, and Ben Roethlisberger. But, you know, without even James Conner there, mm. you, you look at the running game and you just think there's not really that much running. Benny Snell and, and Jalen Samuels, you know, and, and then going with this undrafted rookie uh, quarterback, your, your third quarterback uh, yeah. of, the, of the year. I, I, just, I just think, you know, it, it's impressive and, and it speaks a lot to – how much the old school in, in football still still does apply. Always love Tom. And I was watching the um, the America's game the other day with with one of my kids actually, the the two thousand and eight America's game, right? And Tomlin they it was Troy Palamala talking about the first practice that Tomlin took and he said <laughs> he said alluding to the no nonsense approach of Mike Tomlin that uh, that has defined him really in his certainly in his head coaching career, but arguably in his coaching career, just said there was no one in that huddle, no one in the locker room that was even going to begin to do anything but roll with what Tomlin was saying, like immediately <laughs> command and respect. That's Paul Mallard talking as well. Like yeah. was, it was never in any doubt this guy was commanding that locker room. I, I've always loved Tomlin and I'm glad that, because he's had a lot of, a lot of, you know, haters for a while really in terms of this well, suggestion that he's not the most strategic in game. and that he No, makes- exactly. Plus, you know, you never see, it's not Mike Tomlin's strategies on the bigger picture. You know, that that's kind of left to the coordinators. And at right. times that's been a mess because you've had Haley and, you know, um, and Roethlisberger at odds with each other. And, and Tomlin's had to sort of be the mediator between that. And defensively, they've left it to, to their coordinators as well. And, and, but when you go out and you, you put the right pieces together, that's when, that's when, and you get the, the guys playing, that's when it works. And, you know, go across state, go down the Pennsylvania turnpike to Philadelphia, mm-hmm. and you've got a similar kind of situation where it's not working. And, and to an extent, the Eagles are built a lot like the, um, Steelers are in the sense that they have, they've built a strong offensive line, which, which I would do as well. You know, I think that's, that's the core of your team and, the, and a good O line makes everybody better. Um, keeps your defense off the field, protects your quarterback, opens holes for your running backs. Everybody takes a little step up. Um, and they built a strong defensive front. But the secondary has been a mess, just as it is in Pittsburgh. The skill position players, um, they've had losses, you know, which isn't their fault um, when you get injuries and stuff. But they haven't been able to really make things make things work with with Sanders and and, uh, and How- Howard's now out. Their receiving core is down, and they, you know, Wentz doesn't seem to be able to be to get these guys to to play uh, to their thing, which is kind of kind of what the Steelers had. Um, a problem, a problem with, and I, I look at them as being, you know, you know, very similar. And to an extent, the difference is coaching, mm. you know. And if you ask me, like, what's wrong with Philadelphia, which I, you know, know from the running order you were going to do, <laughs> um, <laughs> so I've segued for you there. Um, but um, you throw yourself. I would, I would answer it with with one word: Josh McDaniels, which is two and a half words. But um, <laughs> you know, um, because when when McDaniels left the Indianapolis coaching job mm. and they hired Frank Reich all of a sudden without Reich and Filippo, they promoted yeah. from the inside. I'm not convinced that they were ready for that and that Doug Peterson can be as effective without one of those two guys, maybe, maybe both, who knows, but you know, you had, you had the quarterbacks coach working with Carson Wentz and then with Nick Foles, you have Reich, who, as we've seen, can adjust from losing Andrew Luck to, to running with Jacoby Brissett, completely different kind of quarterback, but still adjust and, 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 and play, play well with them. And I think that 
comes down to where their offense and Carson Wentz is misfiring. I don't mm. think it's Wentz not being the same player since his injury because you know, when you look at his effectiveness, he had one really good season when he was effective, um, and a half maybe. And, well, and the then, half definitely because he yeah, was in, and then yeah. Foles, and then Foles had a, had an end of a season where he was intermittently effective. You know, mm-hmm. one game, yeah, but but in the big games, um, was when very effective. Yeah. Uh, but I think that that was that was to an extent coaching, and in Foles's case, at least his willingness to put the ball up and, and his receivers making plays when he did, which is not taking anything away from him because he was brilliant in that Super Bowl. When I say put the ball up, he put the ball up and on target um, for his receivers to make plays. But Did he throw the ball open, Mike? That's the question. <laughs> <laughs> so what you're yeah. saying is the Philly, Philly are basically like the Marx Brothers without, without one of them, without Chico. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, without Chico and Harpo, you know, <laughs> right. and, and, um, and, and that's what the problem is. With this, this yeah, and, and, What's you know, going on? on uh, Mike Tomlin's cruise. That's why I want to really get into that. I just want to know what, what the edu- on, uh, on-board know, what, entertainment is going to yeah, be. I mean, that was a Tom Boswell thing about baseball managers when he was just explaining the four types, the four classic types of baseball managers into which categories almost all baseball managers who had had you know, reasonably long careers fell into one or the other. And the fourth one was the jolly, he called them the jolly chollies um, <laughs> based on jolly cholly grim. Um, but he said, you know, a lot of people believe that, you know, as um who was it uh Casey Stengel said you know the the key point in managing is is to identify the five guys who hate you and keep keep them away from the 20 guys who haven't made up their minds yet <laughs> <laughs> Oh, beautiful. All right, Mike, we've got a ton to get into mailbag uh, in a mo, but first let's get to your top five. What do you got for us this week? Yeah, well, this is dual threat quarterbacks, thanks to Ollie Thornton, our producer, who suggested that one. And with the discussions of Lamar, I think, you know, it, it's really apropos. It, it's a little bit tough because for most of the T formation era, there were good running quarterbacks who didn't weren't really allowed to run. Um, or who were scramblers, like Fran Tarkenton say, um, primarily. But when you look carefully, you found that there's quite a few good running quarterbacks, you know, and, um, and this, and we've got some playing now, obviously, who didn't make the list, but, you know, you could put Kaepernick, who's not playing now, but recently, and Josh Allen, who's very much like Kaepernick in term, in terms of what he does, um, Russell Wilson, but you go back to Cordell Stewart, if you remember, mm, sure. uh, Randall Cunningham was a good runner. Yeah. Uh, McNabb and McNair, who I always, you know, think, you know, <laughs> they had, they had almost identical career stats for running. Um, now the guys who, and Tark, as I said, um, but he was primarily a scrambler, I think. Steve Grogan of the Patriots, uh, mm-hmm. held the rushing TD record for a long time. The guy who, who, uh, the two guys who didn't make it were Bobby Douglas, who everyone remembers because he held the rushing record before Michael Vick broke it, just mm-hmm. under a 1,000 yards rushing. But we're talking dual threat. And as a passer, Bobby Douglas's real threat was to anyone standing in the way of the football. Um, <laughs> he was one of those guys who threw it really hard, but with not much sense of direction. Um, and uh, Billy Kilmer, who was a single-wing tailback at UCLA, and then when the first shotgun formation came in San Francisco – John Brody and Billy Kilmer and, and Kilmer was the one that they put in when they wanted to run, which was not the cleverest technique in terms of what you're telling the opposite team. But he had a car crash driving, um, inebriated on the Pacific Coast Highway. And that basically killed his run first kind of ability. But he hung on in the league and you remember the Washington Redskins going to the Super Bowl with Kilmer and Sonny Jurgensen as the one-two punch at quarterback. Mm. Um, and Joe Theismann was the third stringer on that team. Huh. And what united uh, the two guys competing for the top job, Kilmer and Jurgensen, was that they went out drinking together every night. So they were great buddies. Mm. And they both hated Theismann. Yeah, but he just misses. So, number five is Tobin Rote, who – for three years in a row, led the Green Bay Packers in rushing in the early 50s um, and also had a um, uh, rushing touchdown mark before Steve Grogan came along to break it. And then wrote, played in Canada for a while. He played for the Lions for a while. And then he, he took the Chargers to the AFL championship um, in their one AFL championship game uh, while John Hadle sat on the bench and, and watched and watched him um, from the sidelines. In number four, I put Cam Newton. 
because people forget how many designed run plays the Panthers ran on that run to the Super Bowl right? yeah, with yeah. Cam Newton. I mean, it was an option kind of offense. Um, and, you know, they, uh, I always thought in the first series of that game, if John Stewart had read his option hole correctly, he would have gone for 40 yards or so, and it would have been a different game. Um, in the third spot is Michael Vick. Uh, tremendous arm, but didn't have that ability to see receivers open that we were talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, not always perfectly accurate arm, but a very strong arm through a nice ball. And of course was a tremendous runner um, and could have run more had they designed runs for him more. And I put him at three and Lamar well, Jackson. Oh, sorry to go with, ahead with Vic. If it was playing in the NFL now, would he have been even more productive? Possibly. But again, this depends on the situation you're in. You know, if Lamar Jackson had gone to any other team right now, what would he be doing? You know, would would he be running the odd option play mm-hmm. now and again? Would he be scrambling out of the pocket, um, you know, trying to be a drop back passer who scrambles? Um but or would he be on a team with designed runs? And Vic was lucky enough to play on teams, uh, some teams that designed running plays for him. You know, to take advantage of that, particularly on the Falcons, um, more so than the, than the Eagles. Uh, but I, I think he would be perfectly effective now, uh, in the same way that Josh Allen. Yeah, it's funny because these guys have big arms. Josh Allen, Bobby Douglas, Michael Vick, um, Kaepernick, big strong arms, not necessarily the most accurate, but great running ability. And, you know, you almost think maybe there's a correlation there uh, between or or a reverse correlation between those skills. And I think the same applies to Lamar Jackson. And I'm not saying he's not a good passer, but I think we saw in the game against San Francisco and and because – Possibly the conditions weren't great, and that forces you into doing more of what you do naturally. He's not a pinpoint accurate passer, and he's not necessarily an anticipate guys open passer. Um, he's a good and effective passer, and, and and he has the great advantage of being able to get the ball off like like um, Patrick Mahomes does from all angles, which if you're a running quarterback is a huge advantage because you, you can throw on the run, you can throw against the grain. But he comes in at number two. I was going to put him at number three, but then I noticed that Michael Vick said, Lamar's better than I am. So if Michael Vick says it, then I'm going to go along with that. Good the number one guy is a little bit of a surprise, but we are talking dual threat. Steve Young. Steve Young. Yeah. Wow. You knew that. Um, I, 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 yeah. I, you I, could I, see I, it coming. I could yeah. see it coming, yeah. Because Steve Young was that kind of a passer, and he was held back a little because they didn't run many plays for him designed to run. But he was – a really good runner. Um, if you look at Josh Allen running, Young was was that kind of a runner, but with with more power and with better moves. Um, and and I think I think in another system, Young might have actually run the ball more, but he didn't need to particularly with the Forty ers And there's not a whole lot of of difference between these guys. And and I would accept if you said Lamar is a better runner, I'd accept maybe even if you said Mike Vick was a better runner. Um, But if you were taking a dual threat quarterback, I think I'd take Steve Young um, over either of them. Um, Based Uh, on balance, right? You're saying based on, based on the, on the, on the balance of the game, but, but a guy who is a run, you know, could be a, a uh, run first quarterback. If that, if that's what he had to do. Loving it, Mike. Uh, loving it. Steve Young at the top. How about them apples? Right. Let's uh, get into the mailbag. There's a bunch, but we are tight on time. So see how many we can squeeze in. Johnny uh, asks, what do the Eagles have to do uh, in the offseason to compete at the top level again? Well, we've talked about the coaching changes that have affected them. So uh, I guess reading between the lines, Johnny feels the, the personnel might be there for them to be more competitive than they are. So is that the answer? Do they need to mix things up? It, with the, the coaching person, I'm not necessarily. Yeah, I think I, I think that's one answer. I think Doug Peterson could use some help um, off offensively. Um, I think they, you know, health issues have always been a problem for them. Um, they looked at Miles Sanders, and I think they need to decide whether he's a Darren Sproles type or whether he's going to be a you know an every down back type like they right. used to use Brian Westbrook. Say, um, I would incline toward the latter. Um, Jay Ajay or or Howard is there? You know, they should be okay. They just signed Lane Johnson to a massive, huge contract um, to keep the offensive line line intact. 
but it's it's actually not as good. Um, you know, I noticed when they lost to the Patriots, say that 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 Kelsey was having a bad day um, against the Patriots, and I, and I think you know there may be it may not quite be as good as we thought it was, and I think they still need to address. The back seven, and it's not just the secondary. I think their linebacking is, you know, they've lost a couple of guys who, who they need to keep. So I thought they, Howie Roseman's done a really good job of, of bringing personnel in for that team to try to keep them competitive. So, you know, I think, I think it's the offensive fundamental and plan. If you argue it's Carson Wentz and Wentz is never going to be good enough, I say bring in a coach who can help him take that half step to get him back to what he he flashed that he could be a couple of years ago. One more for you, Mike. Another Johnny, actually. Johnny Ridd, thanks for this. At the NC Show, if you want to get your questions in for the mailbag, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Johnny's used Twitter. What's a more interesting job, he asked, the Panthers or the Giants for Jason Garrett? Which brings us kind of nicely full circle, really, doesn't it, Mike, from the top of the show? So uh, the Panthers gig, definitely up for grabs. The Giants, possibly. And Jason Garrett, you think, is a goner in Dallas. Uh, so what's the more interesting job for him? Interesting be the operative word, I guess. Well, the giant, the, the Carolina job, you're moving into a fairly settled uh, operation that's going to need some overhauling, I think. And but you've got a you've got an owner who's probably willing to to cut you a lot of slack and give you uh, some of the tools that you you want. The Giants are not the problem with the Giants is they're not as good as they think they are, and they think they're. You know, they need Mike Tomlin as a coach, for example. They need a guy, you know, cause, cause they want to, they want to stick with what they're going. They'll probably go for a quarter, a quarterback whisperer. And to right. be honest, you know what? If, if, um, if the Giants fire Shermer, which I think they will, um, which everybody in the world thinks they will, I would hire him. If I were Doug Peterson, I'd hire him as my offensive coordinator. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. That would make a lot of, that would make a lot of sense to me. Um, so the Giants, you know, they they last last time around they were looking at um, at uh, Rule from from Baylor, but they wouldn't let him hire his own coaching staff. And I wonder if they might go back there. I don't think the Jared Jason Garrett thing is coming from the Giants. I think it's coming from Jason Garrett, Jason or, or, people, or not yeah. his agent. Say, yeah, his yeah. his people. Um, I, I I just can't see it. Why would you go with a guy who, if you were the Giants coach, you would always think, well, I've got a shot of beating this guy. Um, you know, but, but here's a guy who's got a team loaded with talent, you know, maybe not the, the, the perfect mix of positioning wise, but a team loaded with talent that he can't get to play, um, at the high level that, that they should be playing at. Why would you want to bring him in? Um, right. Bring him it's into your franchise as well. Yeah. Is he, is he a, a kind of North Turner type that's better suited to be a coordinator than a head coach? Do you think that could, that could be? I mean, it's been so long since he was a coordinator. Um, and I'm trying to, th- you know, I'm thinking back to, you know, what he did as a coordinator in, in those days. Well, enough um, to win the gig, presumably. He, well, I think he won the gig because he's, he's a steady, um, not rock the boat kind of guy and Jim and Jerry Jones, um, Jerry Jones needs to be the center of attention, uh, mm. literally. Uh, and, you know, I, if I were Jerry Jones, the first guy I would fire would be my general manager. Um, <laughs> That's going to be quite tricky. And then let the general manager hire a new coach. Uh, because I think Jerry's judgment on, on coaching has been shown over the years not yeah. to be, not to be great. You know, since, ever since he fired Jimmy Johnson, not to, not to put down Barry Switzer, but, but Switzer was, Switzer was a Mike Tomlin, basically. <laughs> Switzer came in with a great roster. And, and did nothing to mess that up, you know, and let the players play and, and they played for him and that kind of stuff. Since then, when the roster has not been overwhelming, you know, that they've had a bunch of guys whose main attribute seems to be that they won't steal the spotlight from Jerry Jones, you know, mm-hmm. the Dave Campos and, and Garrett's. And, and I don't think that's what you go out and hire a coach, um, to do. If I were, if I were Jerry, ooh. No, let's let's just end that thought right there, because um, I, I I don't see how I could be Jerry. But if I were running running the Cowboys and, and looking for another coach right now, I think I'd look look for someone who's either a kick kick it up the butt, you know, rah rah kind of guy, um, or Freddie a Kitchens guy, for Dallas, <laughs> or a guy who's an offensive. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, Freddie Kitchens is another guy. I mentioned uh, was talking before about guys who only had one year and might get another chance. I think Freddie Kitchens has only had one year, but doesn't get another chance because I think what he's shown is as smart as he may be as a coordinator. The head, he's not ready for a head coaching job, 
the and, t-shirt the t-shirt nailed him that the was t- ridiculous t- t-shirt gate was kind of <laughs> t-shirt gate. was it was a, a good one and then you know what what it is I, okay you wear the t-shirt and you wear it and you get you get seen wearing it you know at least at least uh you know mea culpa Mea, no, not even mea culpa. You know, be 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 aggressive about it. Say, oh. yeah, you know, those Steelers. It was their fault. My guy's yeah. got to get back at you know, do a turn like that. Instead, he threw his daughter under the bus. <laughs> oh, Fred. Oh boy. Uh, I just got this idea of you. I getting- mean, that that's that's kind of the way you know. It's kind of the way you you lose a coaching job. I think in, in the end. Big time. I, I love this idea of you somehow wanging away into the front office in, in Dallas alongside Jerry Jones, and then we'll see Iron Mike in the Jerry Jones has come. box. Iron Mike's time has come. You know, I'm Christie. too old to work. I want the front office of a and, – and you know what I'll do? I'll get up every morning and show up at 5 a.m. And, and have my breakfast and read the papers and check the wires and stuff like that, and I'll stay there till 10 at night, you know, watching TV and stuff. That's amazing. It's a tough around. gig. Hey, there's yeah. a concierge gig going on uh, Mike Tomlin's cruise, so I'll put, I'll put in yeah. a good word for you uh, And, okay, here's one to throw out for next week's mailbag. Let's do it. Pete Carroll, Bill Belichick yep. for coach of the year. Ooh, okay. All right. That is, we'll they throw, don't get any attention in the coach we'll of the year we'll voting. Put a, we'll put a coach of the year. We'll do a, we'll do a, the top five shortest yeah. for coach of the year. Now, how about that? We'll roll that out next week. Uh, cracking stuff. Iron Mike, if you want to read the stylings and profilings of the big man, then head over to patreon.com forward slash Mike Carlson FMTE. Anything else you want to plug, Mike? Um, no, <laughs> that's a, that's a, that's plug enough. What else is there needed or required apart from that? Crack and stuff, man. Oh, we will see you same time, same place. Same time, same place. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Look after yourself. Take care. I'm Mike in fine fettle. I would love to see him as part of Jerry Jones's front office crew and sitting in that corporate box, waving to the cameras uh, with that trademark Carlson grin on his face and the eyebrows. That'd be something to behold. Uh, unlikely that that is going to happen, but uh, you never know. Unlikely that the Dallas Cowboys are going to be making the playoffs at this rate, uh, you would think, although they are still improbably in the box seat in the NFC East, so despite everything, maybe they will after all if the Eagles continue to be as poor as they are. And indeed, if you're thinking about some playoff action, but not the television variety up close and personal then check out our friends at touchdown trips who are putting together playoff special packages right about now so go to touchdowntrips.com to find out a lot more about that they've also got some sneaky good christmas presents as well gift vouchers for 2020 which i think is a pretty decent stocking filler if i might say so i hope i hope i might still listening he's probably checked off now because his bit's finished so he's probably not listening to this but if you are i might there's a decent present that you can think about for me, for my stocking. Uh, a 2020 voucher from our friends at touchdowntrips.com. If you're thinking about a trip over stateside for any kind of gridiron action, they are your go-to guys. Speaking of football action stateside, let's move from the NFL to the college ranks and get all the latest from our friend Ben Isaacs. Benedict Isaacs, how the devil are you? Um, excellent. I'm looking forward to championship weekend, although every day that I speak to you is a championship day. So let's call this championship Wednesday. Back at you. You are the kind of quarterback that throws his receivers open. And you'll have to listen to the first part of the show to make any sense of that whatsoever. <laughs> um, certainly in a better mood than, than Chris Peterson, who steps down at Washington. Or maybe not, because uh, the uh, the inside skinny is that Chris Peterson leaving the Washington gig, which is a shock, could be headed to the NFL. Tell us more. Well, it's certainly possible. So to put a bit of context into this, Chris, Chris Peterson, who made his name at Boise State and then he moved to the University of Washington, he's got the second highest um, winning percentage out of any active head coach in college football. He trails Dabo Sweeney, but he is ahead of Nick Saban, which, you know, like, let that sink in. Nick Saban is the greatest coach of his generation. Right. Chris Peterson has a better winning percentage. Wow. He turned Boise State into... After How is that else, possible? Is that sort of because early Saban lost a lot of games? Well, yeah, he's... But, I mean, also you've got to think of the fact that um, Saban has to play a better schedule in general than Chris Peterson has because Chris Peterson at Boise State, he turned that team into a juggernaut in its conference right. and would just barely unbeaten. ever lose. Yeah. But then he went to Washington, a team that has, you know, it's a program that has potential sure. and he turned them into a playoff team. No one would have expected that. Um, he, he went to major bowl games. It was, he was a huge success at the University of Washington. He says he wants to recharge. Now, 
of course, there is the chance he could he could go to the NFL. He's there, he turned down USC when he went to Washington in part because he didn't want to be in the kind of college football bubble. And at Washington, he can kind of be a little bit out of the way. They're based in Seattle. They don't get anywhere near as much attention as the Seahawks do. So he's able to just kind of do his thing. In the NFL, he will be kind of in that goldfish bowl. There's there's no way around that. But I think he'd be a spectacular NFL coach. He is he is one of the top ten head coaches in America right now, NFL and college. He's that good. If what you kind of are, what kind of what are we talking about? A sort of young gun McVeigh innovator? Or? No, no. He's he's in a way he is the most steady and boring coach that you could imagine gets all the little details right doesn't scream and shout his players love him he's not effusive he's just he gets he's such a stickler for detail Mm. he's not a disciplinarian he just seems to spot things that other people don't spot he doesn't try to reinvent the wheel his teams are incredibly consistent he manages to take players who look like they're pretty good make them look very good everyone will overachieve with Chris Peterson. He could really, he set Washington up for success for the next decade. Now they are an established team at the top of the, of the Pac-12 and they should stay there for a while, even with somebody else. If you are an NFL fan and your team has a coach that is not long for this world and you get Chris Peterson, you should be thanking your lucky stars. All right, then there you go, Chris Peterson. For those fans out there with teams that are looking down the barrel of a pretty indifferent season and might be making head coaching changes, he could be your guy for next year. Now, let's get into Championship Weekend, of course, available on ESPN Player, because I'm a company man, as Matthew Berry would attest uh, to. Uh, talk us through the games that are catching your eye, Ben. Okay, well, first off, Friday night, 1 a.m. on ESPN Player, Utah versus Oregon. This is the Pac-12 Championship game. Oregon are ranked 13th. They've got two losses. They will not make the playoff. Utah are ranked number five. Now, with a win... They will bolster their credentials and prove that out of the one-loss conference championship teams, they will feel they are the number one. They really need Georgia to lose because then Georgia have got two losses and no conference championship. And that means Utah would probably, probably be the number four seed in the college football playoff. Moving on to Saturday at five o'clock. Baylor versus Oklahoma in the Big 12 Championship. This is perhaps my favorite game of the weekend. I think there's going to be a huge number of points. Oklahoma are ranked number six, Baylor at number seven. Now, for both of these teams, a win puts them right in that top four mix. If Utah lose to Oregon, they're done. If Utah win against Oregon but look bad, then they could be done. And Baylor or Oklahoma could be kind of in a straight shootout for that number four slot. People did not expect Baylor to have got this far and their only loss this season is against Oklahoma. So that one should be fantastic. Nine o'clock, uh, Georgia versus LSU. LSU win and they're in. That's, you know, that's a no-brainer. They're ranked number two. Georgia are number four. Now, if they win, there's a lot of speculation that Georgia would stay in the top four, but LSU would not drop out of that top four because LSU have looked so good and people would feel that they lost to such a good team that they shouldn't be punished by coming out of the playoff entirely. So if you're a team, if you're a fan of a team outside the SEC, you want LSU to win that and bounce Georgia out. Then 12.30 a.m. ESPN player Clemson versus Virginia. Clemson are ranked number three. You'd expect Clemson to win this reasonably comfortably. Virginia managed to sneak in by beating Virginia Tech for the first time in what feels like a century last week. Clemson should cruise and maintain that number three slot. Everyone would like that number one slot, but that's held by Ohio State. Now, they play at 1 a.m. in the Big Ten championship game. They play Wisconsin. Now, Wisconsin... They have got two losses, so it's very unlikely that they would sneak in. Of course, if they beat Ohio State, then it it could ruin things for Ohio State. Or the, the playoff committee may look and say, well, Wisconsin are ranked eight. That's still not a terrible loss for Ohio State. They could still sneak in. So in short, LSU, Clemson, Ohio State, they certainly control their own destiny. If they win a championship and they're unbeaten, they're no-brainer picks. Georgia, they could do it as well. It's Georgia would really put a cat amongst the pigeons because there are a lot of conferences that do not like the fact that the SEC have frequently had two teams in that four-team playoff. So if you want a bit of variety, root for LSU. And then that Utah-Oregon game, Baylor-Oklahoma, they 
they are going to be spectacular. So 1 a.m. Friday night, Utah, Oregon, 5 p.m. on Saturday afternoon, Baylor, Oklahoma, both on ESPN Player, both absolutely unmissable, I swear to you. Uh, all available, I swear. Well, if you swear down, uh, Ben, that's good <laughs> enough for me. All available on ESPN Player. Uh, quick one that I am Mike uh, for you that I am Mike brought up. Uh, and earlier on, we were talking with Greg Brady. Earlier on this season, this is we were talking with Greg Brady about this. That uh, particularly after the Ohio State game, do you think Harbaugh's out of Michigan, and do you think he's heading back to the NFL? Um, I think it's really difficult for Harbaugh to keep that job now. He has not taken Michigan forward, and when they have had their big games and their big rivalry games, they have fallen flat almost every time. But because was, of that, is his stock quite low? I mean, it, it, yeah, it, it in it, NFL it, terms. It, well, the thing is, he's still he's still a name. He had sustained success at San Francisco. I mean, I think people forget how bad the 49ers were before he took over and how bad they were straight after he left. He did such a good job with that team. Also, it's tied in with the the fact that Kaepernick caught lightning in a bottle for a few years. I think he would still comfortably get an NFL job. Um, I don't know where. He would love to stay at Michigan, but I think he's really on borrowed time. It's he's only got one game left this season and that's going to be the bowl game and they won't know who they're going to play yet. If it's if they get a glamorous bowl game against a good team and they put up a convincing win, then the the the, the decision makers at Michigan may feel that he can take them forward. But right now, I'd say it's unlikely. And if I had to guess where he was going to be next season, I would say the NFL. Oh, okay. Lovely stuff. Hey, Ben, before we let you go, uh, quick one. <clears throat> Earlier on with I, Mike, we were talking, um, and again, this is another reason why you need to go back and listen to the first half of the show, uh, about Mike Tomlin uh, uh, running a cruise ship. Don't ask why we got into that. But I want to know, because I know you love your hip-hop and your music, what would Mike Tomlin's on cruise entertainment program be? Do you think he'd go... Uh, where would he take that? Do you think, Tommy? Because he means a no-nonsense character. So, would he even allow that? Would it be uh, very regimented? How would it work? Do you know what? I've got I've got one obvious thought, and I would say it's MOP, aka Mashout Posse. If you're not familiar with MOP, you should you should Google them and listen to some of their songs. Anti Up is their most oh, famous. Of um, now, the reason I th- I think of MOP is that they've got a permanent scowl on their face like Tomlin seems to have. And also, they are afraid... Angry all the time. Yeah, they, they, are, they are kind of like some of the angriest MCs that you, will ever, that you will ever hear. But plus, they're afraid of flying. And frequently, mm. they've, they've come to perform in London and they've been on like the QE2. They come over on like a, they come over on like a long thing. I would love to sit down like in the banquet hall of the like the, Q, the QE2 With and, and be like MOP are across the way. Like what? So no one is better suited to performing on a boat than MOP. And especially if it's, if it's Mike Tomlin, I think he would love the mash out posse right there. I love that. MOP just uh, perusing the gift shop on the cruise for some, uh, <laughs> yeah. some aftershave and a tea towel with Big Ben on it. Yeah. I, um, I think there's a great mashup of, uh, of Auntie up in Sesame Street. Am I, am I oh, right? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. One of the two, yeah. Now, I, I, I'll just, I've, I've never met MOP, but um, the producer who is most famous for working with them, DJ Premier, who is my, not just my favorite producer he's perhaps my favorite musical artist in the entire world his music is so good he's perhaps my favorite person in the entire world and a few weeks back i've never i've never met him i was at an after party at the london astoria in 1999 uh, a gang were performing and i was writing it up for hip-hop connection and he didn't turn up to the after party and i was mm. just so disappointed i really wanted to say hello had a cruise and, to catch <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah and then a couple of weeks ago my wife was at an event in a hotel and she sent me a message like I think, I think DJ Premier is doing an interview in this like hotel bar. I'm like, this, that's incredible. So of course she went up and spoke to him, said, Oh, my husband's a big fan. And like the guy ends up FaceTiming me. And I was there in the streets talking to, talking to DJ Premier about MOP oh, and wow. Gangstar and all this stuff. Very strange event. Well, yeah. two absolute legends, DJ Premier and your wife are getting that done. <laughs> yeah. Cracking stuff. I love that. We've got a lot of, that, a lot of different roads on today's show, uh, oh, but perfect. all the that's, better for it. That's the December show. That's how it works. <laughs> Indeed it is. Cracking stuff, Betty. Uh, enjoy this weekend. It sounds like there is plenty to be uh, getting stuck into on ESPN Player. Uh, we will check in with you very, very soon. Cool. I'll speak to you soon, guys.
Fine work from Ben. Saluting Iron Mike. Uh, ditto. Our sponsors, Paddy Power Fantasy, appreciate all their support this season. And remember, our listener league, get involved now. Just head on over now. Get involved. Get your team uh, registered and you can win dollar. Uh, Ollie, uh, we'll be back on Saturday with the fantasy show with me uh, to give you a few steers on that front. Now, can I just say the comeback could be on? The comeback could be on. I think I might have snuck a win last week. So I make that 3-1, although Ollie is suggesting there should be a steward's inquiry. So uh, more will be revealed a little bit later on. That Saturday show drops Saturday morning. Before that, of course, all the key weekend action previewed with me. And Mark Hunter in the house for the first time this season. Olympic gold medalist, no less. And he's a 49ers fan. So Mark and I have worked together a lot over the years, usually when the 49ers have been pretty poor. So he, he is going to be crowing right now with his uh, 49ers looking legit. So looking forward to catching up with Mark on Friday. Friday show drop in uh, mid-afternoon to get you set for the weekend. So make sure you subscribe to us and you won't miss a trick. We'll see you then, gang. Podcast Network.